there are certain ways we have been doing things all our life, and there are alternative perspectives. At Spill the Tea, we spill those alternatives. Welcome to Spill the Tea podcast. I'm Keisha, your host for today's episode. Every bi-weekly, we talk with our awesome guests from around the world on ideas that challenge existing paradigms and get inspired by their unconventional journeys. Before we begin, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform so you get notified for every new episode. And if you enjoy the show, please give us a five-star rating and share it. Don't forget to follow our Instagram for more content and discussion with our community. And we are also uploading our talks here on YouTube. Now sit back and be inspired. Now, let me kick off today's episode with a question. Can you imagine associating the word sustainable with seafood? Or are you aware of this concept called pesca tourism? Well, this is what we are going to explore today because it is somewhat unconventional. In fact, totally relevant if we talk about sustainability. So let me bring our guest today, Emily. Emily, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Yes, finally, and it's good to have you here with us today. So I'll introduce you to our audience, and maybe you can jump in a little bit there if I missed out something. So Emily is a Portuguese-Canadian fishery scientist and also writer. Seaside with Emily is a unique space for coastal travelers and seafood lovers. It is a platform that serves as an online education space where Emily's aim is to teach others about healthy oceans, sustainable seafood, and culinary adventures focusing on the rise of pesca tourism. Of course, before we begin to talk more about pesca tourism, I would like to know more about you. Third Culture Kit is something that we talk a lot in our podcast. Our listeners would love to know about your journey from your Portuguese roots to Canada. How did you start this exciting work that you are doing today? Yeah, so um, I actually don't even think I realized, to be honest, how big of a role my familial roots and my background were, were going to play in my career until I sort of got into the middle of it. Um, but I, yeah, I grew up in a Portuguese household. My grandparents immigrated to Canada years ago. So I was born in Canada, but just growing up, like I was always surrounded by seafood. Um, seafood is such a big deal in Portuguese cultures. Like a lot of our traditional dishes focus on seafood, a lot of religious holidays center on seafood when we don't eat meat. Um, and so seafood was just kind of always, you know, at the front of my mind, I really like associated it with being together with my family and upholding a lot of these traditions that were so important to us. And then as I got older um, in university, I, sub- I studied environmental governance. So a little bit of uh, environmental science, economics and uh, policy. And I started to learn more about environmental issues, including, you know, the oceans, of course, you know, being from Portugal, the Azores Islands, actually, I have such a, you know, love for the ocean. And I started to learn about a lot of the different issues that were plaguing the oceans, um, you know, s- seafood being one of them. And I just really wasn't buying into this idea that there's no way to eat from the ocean sustainably, which was sort of the narrative of that, you know, at that time from a lot of marine conservation organizations. And, you know, seeing, you know, local small scale fishermen on the Azores Islands where my family is from, um, that they, they go out and they feed their families and their communities and they're such great stewards of the ocean. And just seeing how important seafood is to my family and what I imagine to be, you know, other families around the world, I was really determined to figure out how we could, you know, continue to take food from the ocean in a way that also preserves the ocean so we can enjoy it in other ways. You know, I'm also 
a scuba diver. And so it was important to me that I was able to, you know, enjoy coral reefs and marine life while still being able to eat seafood. Um, and so, yeah, that kind of is what led me to my journey today. I finished my undergrad. I went on, I did my master's degree, became a fishery scientist. And a lot of the, the research that I did was focused on small scale fisheries and the impacts of the pandemic on, uh, on the global seafood supply chain. I work a lot like in the supply chain, human dimensions um, side of fisheries. But what I found after I finished academia was that there's just such a disconnect between the seafood industry and fishery science and the average consumer that there was just this big need for me to disseminate a lot of this information to the average consumer. Um, because, you know, like you kind of said in the intro, like people aren't even really familiar with sustainable seafood or understand what it means. And so that's really what I focused my career and my brand, C said with Emily, on doing over the last few years is helping the average consumer make sense of sustainable seafood. Wow, that sounds amazing. I mean, you started something that you associate with your childhood or memories with family. And then after that, you affiliated it with your hobby. And at the end, you also study about it. So that's really interesting. And wow, Mm. you're also a scuba diver. That's so amazing. (laughs) Now, being your follower and my my podcast buddy, BB, is also your loyal follower. I know you have taken quite amount of voyage, something that a lot of us miss doing. So... Tell us how many countries have you visited and which is your favorite destination among all these places? <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I actually had to think about this because I, uh, I'm honestly not sure about the exact number. I want to say it's somewhere around 25, 26. <gasps> um, yeah, I've definitely been fortunate to do a lot of traveling. Uh, my brand, my website actually started out as a travel blog um, oh. until really seafood you know, took over. And that's why I do a lot of now pescatourism or seafood travel, because I still have that travel bug and I still love to see the world. But now I just do it, um, you know, with this focus on seafood and I share, you know, the best seafood restaurants around the world or, you know, where you can go on an oyster farm tour or a tour of a, you know, caviar production facility, things like that. Um, So yeah, I've probably been to about 25 or 26 countries and I'm definitely biased, but I think Portugal has to be my, um, (laughs) my favorite. I just, I love it. Um, Like the mainland's really nice, but the islands, the the Azorish islands where my family is from, um, they're just so beautiful. It's just such a different way of living compared to North America. And of course, you know, the food is amazing. Of course, food. Oh my gosh. If you say food is amazing, I think that's enough to convince me. So, (laughs) (laughs) and of course, I miss getting to know about other culture and their food and their tradition. And you Mm -hmm. brought up pesca tourism and how it developed into most of the topics on your blog. Let's focus more about that. Today, as a traveler, we have more options when it comes to traveling, like sustainable tourism, Muslim tourism, low budget tourism, and many more. So can you share a little bit what's pesca tourism about? Yeah, so pesca tourism is basically, you know, seafood travel, you know, we talk about food travel or wine travel. So Mm -hmm. basically, you know, traveling to get, you know, a sense of culture and place through food or drink. Um, Pesca tourism is exactly that, but experiencing a destination through its seafood. So it includes things like going to seafood restaurants, of course, um, but it also includes things that go a little bit a step further, I think, um, and really bring consumers a little bit closer or travelers a little bit closer to their food and to their food systems, which is something that I'm really passionate about. And so pesca tourism also includes things like, you know, going on a fishing boat with a local fisherman, like learning more 
about local fisheries and local fishing techniques, like actually spending the day on a boat, um, mm -hmm. doing things like touring oyster farms where you actually get to see, you know, where oh. oysters are grown and then eat them afterwards. And um, I've also done some really cool stuff in Canada out east. We have a, a caviar, a sustainable caviar production facility. And so I had the opportunity. They, they do like tours there where you can go in and you can see how they produce caviar. You can learn more about it. They also do like boat tours, for example, as well, where you can actually go out on the boat. You can catch the sturgeon and then you can see like how the sturgeon would be harvested to get the caviar and some of the unique things they do there as well to to use the entire fish you know for sustainability to not have any food waste and so pesca tourism is really this travel it's really experiencing a place through it's it's seafood really that sounds really cool if i do like a quick search it's still something that's growing so is mm -hmm. it more well known in europe yeah pesca tourism is definitely quite new um like i don't think it's as well known as you know food travel or wine <laughs> tourism it's definitely a new and lesser known i think a lot of people would probably associate pesca tourism you know under the food tourism category right um but i think it just it does differ a little bit because i think you know we also have things like agro tourism or agriculture tourism yeah. which kind of go a step beyond you know food tourism and food tours and restaurants and again bring the traveler a little bit closer to their food systems and so I think pesca tourism is maybe like the ocean-based or the you know lake or river-based equivalent of agro-tourism because right. it is taking people a little bit closer um and yeah I, I mean I think it's I think it's budding. Um, it's becoming more and more popular in different pockets of the world. I mean, obviously, coastal regions and islands have, you know, really embraced pesca tourism because they have such an abundance of of seafood and um, and marine life there. So I'm I'm hoping that it will continue to grow. I think also this pandemic has made people really think a lot more about where their food comes from, and people, you know, in general are more conscious of their food choices and their food footprint and you know seafood is of course one of the most sustainable food choices on the planet and so I think that as more and more people gravitate towards you know replacing meat in their diet with fish yeah. we're going to see um, continued growth in the pesca tourism space. Yes of course I'm looking forward to that and I agree with you more people are becoming more aware about the source of the food and what it can do or how it impacts to carbon footprint or even to the, the whole habitat itself. Other than the fact that people usually categorize pesca tourism under food tourism, what are the random facts or probably most misconceptions of pesca tourism? Yeah, I mean, I think people just generally don't really know what it is. Um, like when they hear the tour, the term pesca tourism, they're kind of like, what? I mean, I guess like if, if you think about it for a while, you know, you can kind of put together pesca is some sort of fish. Um, but I just think generally, yeah, people aren't quite familiar with the term. And so I often get a lot of people asking me, well, you know, what the heck is pesca tourism? Um, I sometimes also try to use like the terms like seafood travel or seafood right. tourism, which is maybe like a little bit more um clear for people but yeah I just think people just generally don't know what it is it's like I said it's still fairly new it's growing and I think just as more and more people keep talking about it and get the chance to experience it it will grow you know the same way that things like wine tourism or cycling tourism and food tourism have of course and you Emily are here as an advocate so Thanks to you, maybe more people will know about it. I mean, including me. So, <laughs> and you mentioned that throughout the pandemic, other than diet changes, and of course, there are more entertainment or report about this issue as well. There has been more awareness about what you do as well because of the latest documentary on Netflix, like Seaspiracy, which mm -hmm. 
debuted and you know created ripples basically in the ocean conservation movement, right? So mm -hmm. it is worth to mention that this documentary actually brought a lot of attention to the society regarding what happens behind the scenes. Uh, why do you think it takes a major media like this for this to be considered serious? Yeah, well, I think for a lot of people, the ocean is out of sight and out of mind. Mm -hmm. That was kind of one of the reasons that I wanted to start my social media platforms, you know, after I became a scuba diver, because when I became a scuba diver, I realized that, you know, everything that I had thought I knew about the oceans was, you know, maybe not completely correct. Um, you know, going underwater for the first time, you kind of see the destruction firsthand and you realize like, well, if I didn't know this and I, you know, love the ocean and actively seek out information about the ocean, then how is the average person ever supposed to know what's going on? Um, and so that's where, like, really what inspired me to start doing what I do. And I think, like, that's why documentaries like Seaspiracy are so, um, you know, I don't know, interesting because, like I said, for most people, the ocean is out of sight, out of mind. It's not something that they know a lot about. Um, they're not thinking about it every day. And so when a big, you know, when a big film like this comes out and they use a lot of tactics like, you know, sensationalism or exaggerating <laughs> statistics, you know, or, you know, gory images. Anyway, you know, I, I think I, I've written about this specific film and my sort of disagreements with it, but yeah, I think yeah. they were effective in, in generating a conversation, maybe not a truthful or accurate conversation, but people are talking about it, like you said, nonetheless. Yeah, definitely. That's why I wanted to ask you, because I noticed you also talk a bit about this on some of the podcasts, and maybe some of the data that we share were outdated or it was misinterpreted. Nevertheless, people are more aware about it as well. Now, mm -hmm. if we think about the nine planetary boundaries that sustains life on our planet, oceans are an integral part. And when it comes to the life in ocean, which is what more than 90% of life on our planet, we have largely depleted and are still depleting it. And you also mentioned a lot about sustainable seafood. So could you maybe share with us more about it? Like from probably from your discovery as a scientist, is there something that we need to know more about sustainable seafood? Well, I would just say first and foremost, kind of at a high level is that Sustainable seafood does exist. Um, it is possible to eat from the oceans in a way that doesn't cause damage to the oceans. I think that was one of the biggest issues, for example, that I have with that film and mm -hmm. um, a lot of the marine conservation organizations that had that line, because you definitely can eat from the ocean sustainably. At the end of the day, all methods of food production have an impact on our environment, whether you're eating fish or you're eating meat or you're eating vegetables or you're eating tofu there's always an impact to producing that food. And so seafood it has one of the lowest impacts. Like when we look at things like carbon footprints and um, even things like bycatch and impact on the ocean floor, these areas are constantly being worked on. Like there's a whole branch of science, you know, fishery science where I work, like this entire field of science is dedicated to figuring out how can we make these things more sustainable? How can we you know, create new nets that result in less turtle bycatch? How can right. we strategically place our fishing grounds and put in place fisheries management measures so that we're not destroying precious marine habitat um, when we get food from the ocean? And so, uh, yeah, I would just say first and foremost, it is possible to eat seafood sustainably. There are a ton of great resources out there to help people eat seafood sustainably. The thing about seafood is that it's very regional. And so like blanket statements saying that like all seafood is unsustainable, that's 
you know, it, it's incorrect. Um, seafood is very regional. It's very place specific. It's very, right. it's very contextual based on, you know, where you are in the world, how you're fishing and what species you're fishing for. And I understand that this is partly what makes it so confusing to the average consumer. Like I'm not coming on here and saying that sustainable seafood is simple by any means. I, I know that it's not. And that's the fault of, I think, fishery science not communicating with the average public effectively and also with the seafood industry not communicating with the public effectively and so I think you know that's why I, I do the work that I do is because I recognize that there is such confusion among the general public about sustainable seafood and I want to help to ease that confusion um, and so there yeah there is sustainable seafood there's a ton of great resources out there and just keep in mind that you know it's very contextual it's not it's not black and white by any means. Exactly. It's good to know and it's kind of a relief to know that there are actions from companies or scientists like what you mentioned that uh, you are trying to improve the methods every day in order to make it more sustainable. And I remember when I watched the, the documentary and also some of the reports that were shared that bycatch is like some of the major contribution to you know why many people believe that it's not sustainable. So you know, it's a relief to hear that there are people or there are team that are trying to resolve this as well. Thank you so much for sharing that. And it's very interesting to um, hear from your perspective because you've been there. I mean, you work as a scientist, so you know the overall of how the process works, which is a relief mm-hmm. <laughs> to me. You know, one of the scary statistics that was brought up a lot And during the promotional of this documentary, there has been more discoveries about this and it is mentioned that fisheries will collapse by 2048. I think that's like one of the most common tagline that they used when they promoted that documentary. And Mm -hmm. your role here as an advocate and a scientist plays a big part in promoting sustainable way to travel and to understand seafood, of course. So can you share probably top three tips to support sustainable tourism or pesca tourism itself? Yeah, so I mean, I will quickly say that the 2048 number is (laughs) very inaccurate. Um, It's been taken back by the initial author who said that there was going to be no fish in the ocean by 2048. And I talk about this on my in my blog post about Seaspiracy a lot, so I won't get further into it, but I will just say that that is a, yeah, something splashy and nice and gets exactly. really attention, but not accurate. <laughs> um, but yeah, I would say like top three tips, I guess, you know, first and foremost, number one, in terms of seafood, I would say, you know, get to know your, you know, local seafood suppliers, where you get your seafood, have a conversation. That's kind of how I always tell people to start. Like I said, seafood is so context dependent and so regional um really like it's important to know where it was caught how it was caught what species it is and so having those conversations with people can help you figure out that information and I even do this when I'm traveling and I would encourage others to do this when they're traveling as well like when I'm at a restaurant I am definitely the customer who's asking a ton of questions about the menu because I want to know you know where the seafood on the menu came from and so I will ask the server you know if they know you know where it was sourced or how it was caught and whatnot Um, and I think Um, more and more restaurants need to do a better job of, I think, putting that information on the menu, but that's a separate (laughs) conversation. (laughs) Um, But yeah, just asking those questions, whether you're at home or whether you're traveling. And then, you know, in terms of sustainable travel, I think like we've seen a rise in this since COVID happened, but taking a slow travel approach, I guess, to your, you know, destinations around the world, rather than trying to pack in, you know, 15 countries in 15 days, which I, you know, I've definitely done that when I was 16, 17. I'm not sure that I have the energy for it now that I'm, I'm getting old, but, um, you know, that kind of travel is, 
exciting but like a you never really get to know a place in depth like it's a nice Mm -hmm. I guess like appetizer to you know get a get a taste of a country but you never really get to experience it in depth and then just thinking about the environmental footprint like the the emissions to travel between destinations like that, whether you're flying or you're taking a train, like like we said, like all the methods of food production have impacts, all methods of transportation also have impacts. And so the more slow you can go, the lesser your footprint's going to be. And I think also just makes for a more meaningful travel experience. Um, and so I think honestly, like that's my biggest tip for sustainable tourism is embrace slow travel. Like instead of trying to jam pack all these countries into a week, like spend a week in one place, it'll be less hectic. Like you'll really get to know the destination really well. You'll get to immerse yourself in the local culture and you'll get to just, I think have like a better overall, like more authentic travel experience anyway. Thank you so much for sharing those tips. Um, so number one, just start conversation with the locals. And number two, ask questions. And number three, mm-hmm. slow travel. <laughs> for the slow travel part, I completely understand what you mean. You know, usually mm-hmm. we just follow a tour to make it more convenient. And usually they just bring us the main spots. So mm-hmm. we really don't know much about the authentic experience. Like what is the real, what does the people do actually? The one that does not live in the city, like we don't know about it. Exactly. So, <laughs> and I believe that you also have shared this on your blog as well. And of course, we want to know more about probably what's ahead for you, Emily. You create Mm -hmm. a lot of content from blogs, TikTok or Reels, and even have your own online shop. So what is next for you? Yeah, so um, we're kind of getting into the time of year when my travel is really going to start to pick up. So I'm really excited about that. You know, the winter, I tend to I tend to like to spend the holidays, you know, with my family and not traveling too much. And then the winter kind of easing back into work and whatnot. Um, So yeah, my travel schedule is about to pick up. I've got a lot of cool trips coming up. You know, Hawaii um, is probably, yeah, the the most, yeah, the closest one. And I I love Hawaii, great seafood and great ecotourism and sustainable tourism destination as well. They're very conscious of how their tourism impacts their environment. So I love going there. And then some big trips planned this summer, almost nonstop travel. I'll be in Spain and Portugal and and France um, and Norway, actually. So all really great seafood destinations. And so there's definitely a lot of pescatourism coming down the pipeline um, from from those European and Scandinavian countries. So I'm very excited to to get out there and, you know, experience some new pescatourism. A lot of those are new destinations for me. Like I'm going to Monaco. I've never been to Monaco. I've never been to Spain or Norway. Um, And so I love, you know, that excitement of experiencing a destination for the first time and just being such great seafood destinations I'm just I'm so eager to see like what lies ahead in those places for me oh that sounds so exciting and (laughs) I'm looking forward to more content from that because it's I mean like very different destinations like Hawaii then you're going to North Europe you're going to France so it'll be really interesting to to see like what you find out in terms of pesca tourism itself. And like what you said, can you share what are the our top three or like your favorite pesca tourism experience? Yeah, so I really love oyster farm tours. Um, I think they're so interesting. I I love oysters. I think oysters are something like people either love them or hate them. <laughs> I love oysters and I love mussels more actually more than oysters and they're oftentimes grown together Um, and I just think it's so interesting because like we're farming in the oceans and uh, a lot of people I think don't really understand that most of the 
if not all of the oysters that we eat today come from farms. Um, and oysters are just such, oysters and mussels are such sustainable seafood choices. Like they have no footprint. They really have no impacts. Like they actually have a net positive benefit on the marine ecosystem. And so I love visiting different places and visiting their oyster farms and then trying their oysters because some people think like all oysters taste the same and like any like oyster connoisseur will tell you that's the craziest thing ever because oysters just have like, they really soak up the flavors of where they are in the world. And so every single oyster is so unique um, based on like, we call it like the miroir. So like the environmental conditions around it that like just give it a different flavor. So I love doing oyster farm tours. Um, I obviously love going to restaurants um, or food tours, like some of those more like typical experiences, like mm -hmm. food tours are always great. I think it's just so nice to combine like culture and tasting. Like I love to eat um, and I love to like, you know, learn about the history and culture and just being able to walk around a city and learning about how, you know, fishing has impacted its culture and how certain seafood dishes came to be the traditional dish is just it's just so like eye-opening to me. And then I would say like the third one is actually getting out on the boat, which um, oh. I've had the opportunity to do here in Canada quite a few times. And it's just really, I don't know, it's just really interesting. Like, I think it helps people better understand really like how our seafood is harvested. And I always say like, fishermen are some of like the most talkative people on the world, <laughs> in the world. And so like if you have questions, like they will be more than happy to answer them and are just like always so eager that people are interested in what they do. And so I love speaking to fishermen. I think a lot of people are maybe intimidated to do so or intimidated <laughs> to go out on a boat. Um, and I've just had nothing but positive experiences. I just think it's like, it's, it's one of those like learning experiences. Like you could never get that in a classroom or from like a Google search, like you've really got to be there. And so it's just, it's so valuable and so fun. That is so interesting. And now I have like a new bucket list. I mean, a new, uh, at least something to look forward to, I guess, um, because pesca tourism is something that I've never experienced before. Going on a boat, uh, not really, but it's just to cross to another island probably. So I don't think that's pesca tourism. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much, Emily, for sharing those. And of course, thank you for joining me today. It's good to learn something new. For mm -hmm. our listeners there, I hope you learned something new and you are equally inspired by Emily's story. Make sure you follow our Instagram at Spill the Teapots and visit our website, SpillTheTeapots.com. And Emily, would you like to share your social media? Where can we find you online yeah so my website is seasidewithemily.com um, and then my instagram and tiktok handles are also seasidewithemily um, so yeah you can find all of my information there i've got tons of information about pesca tourism sustainable seafood um, yeah and i'm always open to also answer any questions if people have more um, they're curious and i didn't answer here they can feel free to shoot me a message on uh, on instagram or something and i'll try my best to get back to them Thank you so much for sharing those and hope you enjoyed this episode. Goodbye.